Woodland is a church that believes in miracles. We're a church that unashamedly and boldly pray for miracles in people's lives. There's a group of us that we gather every Saturday night, <clears throat> and we pray boldly and persistently, and we hold up not only people in our congregation, but people in our community who write us and ask us to pray. We don't talk about this except to encourage you to come and join us to pray for that hour on Saturday nights, because we believe that if we're not willing to touch the glory of God and give all the glory to Him that anything is possible. And we believe that if we agree together in prayer as touching any one thing, then anything is possible. Miracles are a subject that I hesitate to speak about sometime because I know that in every congregation, every place I've ever been asked to speak about miracles, there are two opposite poles, if you would think of a continuum. There are people that I love and admire that don't believe miracles happen anymore. When I think of people like that, I, I think about one of my historical heroes, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson believed in God. He struggled in, with the whole concept of miracles. But he believed in God. He just was one of those people that believed God created everything and that just kind of sat back and watched how it was going to unwind. We believe in a much more personal God. Jefferson was the one that would write that our Creator has endowed us with certain inalienable rights. He took a Bible and because he loved the teachings of Jesus, but he just couldn't believe the miracles, he excised all the miracles from that Bible, and you know that is the Jefferson Bible today. You probably studied that in school. And then there's the polar end of this continuum, the other end, like a friend of mine, and I hesitate using the word friend because it's been over 20 years since we've talked, but we traveled together. I remember when he had a white, hot heart for the holiness of God. I remember before he and his wife married, and we would talk about marriage, and he was in our home, and we were spending lots of time together. I wrote things for him that he used in his publicity. If I was to call his name, everyone in this room would know it. If I was to call his name in public, most everybody in public would know. But something happened in, in our, his life. We've talked about it. There was for a period of time he recanted on it, but there was just too much money to be made in a miracle show. And in this ministry that's, that purports to give the glory to God, you would think miracles are happening, happening a mile a minute. Jesus had harsh words to say about people who chased miracles, people who chased after signs. When you read about miracles in the Bible, you'll find them throughout the Bible. Miracles are just distributed throughout the Bible. But there are three main clusters of miracles in the Bible. And those three clusters of miracles have to do with opening people's eyes to who the Lord is. You've got the miracles of when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt. You've got the miracles clustered around certain of the prophets of when Israel had fell into such a backslidden state that they went through the form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. And then you have the miracles clustered around Jesus in the early church. Now, again, miracles are throughout the Bible. But those are the three primary clusters of miracles that you're going to find in the Bible. And that says a lot to you about why and how God works miracles. But God, like He has through most of history, He works generally, say that word with me, generally, say it again, generally. I learned that word studying in Israel. We would go someplace and they say, well, in this general vicinity, in this general vicinity, and I made the comment one day, I would like to meet general vicinity. 
Because in this general vicinity, that, I mean, we knew we were in the area where David fought Goliath. We knew we were in the area where Moses prayed. We knew we were in that area, the general vicinity. But generally, God works through the natural processes that he himself established. But there are times when God does direct miracles in our life. And we can trust him and pray for that. But most often, God uses these general processes. Just think about how he's created our bodies. He's created our bodies with these marvelous, curative ways that are just in us, that we're not sure why they're there or how they got there. How does a body cure itself as disease? How does a body protect itself against germs? How does a bone mend itself? We can observe it happening, but we don't know why it happens. We observe the process of the intellect that God gives to great minds to find cures for diseases. I was talking with a young man this week, and we were talking about faith and science. And I just told him, I says, I want to encourage you, go after a scientific degree. Go after what you're dreaming about in science. Don't be afraid. Hi, buddy. <laughs> Nothing like the name of mama. She got right up. There's nothing to fear from science because what most people in our society don't know today is that most of the great scientists of the past were great men of faith. Theology was the mother of science, gave us science. Theology was what really challenged the Roman Catholic Church when they were persecuting men like Galileo and Copernicus. And we'll deal with some more of that in a minute, but God gives great minds intellects. And I told this young man, there is a cure out there. I convinced of it. I'm persuaded of it. There's a cure for cancer. There's a cure for HIV. And I think somebody that is a passionate follower of Christ that will follow the guidance that God gives us in our Bibles about how to live and how to be born again and how to use our minds and not be afraid of the naysayers, but get in there and do the best research that God will show us. But it is no less of a miracle when a body heals from a disease through medicine or through science than it is when God directly touches. God always deserves the praise. God always deserves the honor. And I know far too many Christian doctors and Christian scientists today that I've had the privilege of sitting down and talking with who would tell you the same thing. God deserves the praise. As one surgeon told me, he says, we can mend we can do the surgeries, we can do the medicines, but we have no idea how and why it happens. Only God can give the healing. And that's an important thing to remember. Then there are those times when there are those much more spectacular miracles. For instance, spectacular healings. When a person that was crippled can walk again. When a person that was blind can see again. When a person that was deaf can hear again. Those are what scientists would call anomalies. I mean, it's out of the ordinary. It's out of the natural. It's something we really can't explain. And I have prayed for blind people and seen them healed. I prayed for people who, in foreign countries who've had gross that could be easily removed here by surgery, but because of neglect have grown, and I've seen them healed and disappear. I've seen that happen. I've seen people controlled by evil forces, totally delivered and changed in a moment. Those are what we call anomalies. They're out of the ordinary. But we believe in those because we believe in the God of miracles. As a doctor told me that I've shared with you many times because I can't help but give God the praise. You don't exist. You shouldn't be standing there. We can't explain you. And yet there you are. I don't believe in miracles, but you are one. And when I hear that, I'm reminded one more time of how we tend to underestimate this great and wonderful and loving God that we serve. He is the God of miracles. But as someone that has experienced personally divine healing, it's a great blessing. But do you know what? 
one day I'm going to die. One day you'll attend my funeral, I hope. And you'll remember me as a man who loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you will remember me as somebody who preached the word of God with all of my heart and with every fiber in my being and pointed you to Jesus Christ and pointed you to Calvary. And you will remember these words I say to you, whether you've been healed of cancer, whether you've been healed of heart disease, whether you've been healed of being crippled, the greatest miracle is not the physical healing for everybody healed is one day going to die. The greatest miracle is the forgiveness of sins through the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. The greatest miracle is a brand new life that God gives us when we put our faith in Christ. You see, at that point in time, at that point in time, when it comes, look at me. Look at me. Listen. At that point in time, it doesn't matter if you can walk again. It doesn't matter if you can see again. It doesn't matter if you have been healed of heart disease. At that point in time, what matters is that your sins have been forgiven and that you stand in the presence of Jesus Christ, washed in the blood of the Lamb. You stand there, not afraid to meet God, but ready to meet your Father who is in heaven. That's the greatest miracle of all. Please don't think in any way that I'm minimizing healing or miracles when I say that. I would never minimize anybody's suffering. I know there's some of you, some that we pray for every week, and we'll keep praying for who are suffering. There are people today in our congregation who long for God to dramatically heal them, long for God to restore and add years to their life. But my words to them are the same words I give to you. The miracle that endures forever is the miracle of being born again. That's the miracle that endures forever and ever. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord? And I'd like to walk you through just a few points on the kind of people, people like you and me and your neighbor, the people you work with, that miracles happen to. Psalms 56 and verse 9, beginning, my enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know, God is on my side. <laughs> We go home. Read that with me, would you? This I There's an exclamation point at the end of that statement right there, isn't there? Now you all know what that means. Do I have any English teachers in here? What does that mean? Emphasis. All right, let's read it again. You do better than that at a stinking football game. <laughs> if you know this, there's an exclamation point up there. Read it again. This time, God is on my side. There you go. You, can we do that in church? You can't hear. This I know. Man, when you know that, man, when you know that, that changes everything. God is on my side. I praise God for what he has promised. Do you know what he's promised? Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you have rescued me from death, and you have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence Oh, God, in your life-giving light. Let's say it one more time. This I know, God is on my side. One more time. This I know, God is on my side. Now, Father, I ask you to cause this truth to explode into our hearts this morning. And I pray that like fragments, Lord, of a bomb, that it will stick all over our soul. God, in our emotions, in our psychology, Lord. God, in our spirit, even into the very tissue of our bones and our flesh. This we know. God is on our side. And I pray in the next few minutes that, Lord, you will help us to see and to be the people that miracles happen to. For it's in Christ's name I pray. And everyone agreed and said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning.
Well, who do miracles happen to? First of all, they happen to people who know God. People who know the Lord, who have a relationship with God. And when I use that word know, I'm not just saying they know about God, but they literally know God. I mean, they, they're people that have been born again. They can call God their heavenly father. It's like the intimacy that Becky and I have. We know each other. We've been together so long. We've been married so long that we look at one another and sometimes we know what the other is thinking by the smile or the raise of an eyelid. And last night I wasn't thinking very well and I used an illustration in my devotional on prayer. And when I got home, Becky says, you need to take a vacuum cleaner and you need to go upstairs. I go, why? She says, because you just told everybody at prayer meeting tonight that the upstairs was not straightened. And when I left you, our house was clean. And uh, so you need to take a vacuum cleaner. Folks, my house was clean. I was just using a metaphor last night. I know better now. People who know God, they're kind of like friends who talk. I have friends who are very touchy, you know. They'll reach across and lay their hand upon your arm while you're talking. They want to reassure you. I have people that sometimes when they're, you're together, they just want to put a hand on your shoulder. They know God. They, they know you. They want to be close, and there's this intimacy there. So my question to you is, do you know who God is? Do you know what he's promised? Do you know that this God is more than some force? He's not like Steven Spielberg. The force out there, but he is a God who is almighty and omniscient, and yet he wants to live in your heart and life, and he wants you to be his, his son or his daughter. He adopts you in his family, not because he wants to, but this God loves you and cares for you. And my second question is, do you remember what God has done for you in the past? Because something happens in our lives from time to time. We forget or we, we let it grow old of what God has done in our past and how he's healed us, how he's saved us, how he's provided for us, how he's guided us, how he's directed us. Sometimes we forget those times when we nearly had an accident and we wondered how did we escape and yet it must have been the invisible hand of God. Sometimes we wonder how our children survived an accident when we look at the the car and somebody else maybe was died or hurt and you look at your child and you say, how did they escape? My question is, do you know God and do you know what God has done in the past? We as a church, it's one of the reasons that we remind ourselves when we come together and pray, we know who God is. We know the promises of God. So when we come here on a Saturday night and we gather in prayer, we pray persistently and we pour out our needs, we pour out our hurts, we pour out our faith, we, we try to get underneath the people in our congregation and bear their burdens and people in our community and bear their burdens and lift them up. And we ask God because he is a God of compassion, he is a God of long suffering to help us know how to pray and to intercede as Christ would. We do this because the Bible tells us to, but we also do this because God has changed our hearts and lives. Prayer is not just about what God can do for me. Prayer is about what God can do for us. And prayer is about the glory of God. We do this because in passages like James chapter 5 and verse 14, we are told, not invited, but we are told, if any of us are sick, we are to call for the elders of the church to pray over them and to anoint them with oil in the name of our Lord Jesus. And did you know there's a promise attached to that? And that promise that is attached to that says, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, I used to struggle with that because we would pray for people sometime and maybe they would die. I remember very well praying for Sally and walking with Sally through a heart problem and a heart failure and being there with Sally when she passed away, singing to Sally. I was holding her hands and she's looking me right in the eyes and saying to her, she believed her, breathed her very last breath and she smiled that sweetest smile and I walked away saying, God, you said if we prayed the prayer of faith, you would raise them up and in that very moment the Lord reminded me I have raised her up she is standing in my presence she is healed and she is whole if God doesn't raise us up this side of eternity when we pray this is our confidence we will stand in the presence of the Lord for to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord Jesus Christ don't you weep for those who have died in faith weep and mourn for yourselves with hope but remember this they are fully alive in Christ Jesus today Hallelujah. God, God is not a liar. He will raise them up. So every Sunday here at Woodland, we practice this. We invite you if you're sick. We invite you if you're carrying a burden. We invite you if you are anxious. We invite you with whatever you need to come forth and let us pray for you. And if you're sick, we're going to anoint you with oil. 
Now, the first time I went to Africa, I got a real learning experience about anointing with oil. Because, see, I grew up here in America. When we anoint with oil, we do it like the old Brill Cream commercials. Do you remember a little dabble, do you? I'll take a little dab of oil, I'll put it on your forehead, I'll make the sign of the cross, and I'll pray for you. Well, the first time in church when I started praying for the sick, I went to get a little dab, and one of the elders helping me pray, he took the bottle and just emptied it out right on top of their head. They were an oily mess. But I want to tell you something. I watched God do something miraculous in that person's life. I watched God heal. I watched God deliver. I asked later, I says, why do you pour the whole bottle on them? Because they understand the anointing to be to drench them. Friends, if you're sick, you don't mind getting a little bit oily if you want a miracle in your life. However, we will still do the dabbing unless the Lord tells us to do the pouring. But let's be clear. There's no magic in that oil. There's no miracle in that oil. There's no manipulative power in that oil. We only anoint with oil because the Bible says to anoint with oil. And the key to walking in faith is being obedient. Say that word with me. Obedient. Say it again. Obedient. I have pastored long enough to know that teenagers aren't the only ones that struggle with obedience. Adults struggle with obedience too. I have people say, well, do I really have to do that? And I go, well, it's what the Bible says, but I don't want to. And I'll look at them and say, you sound like a stinking 13-year-old to me right now. I don't want to. My hair will be messed up or I'll got to go somewhere. Friends, when you get desperate, you're willing to do whatever God says to do. Can you say amen to that? So it's important that we understand that. But before I move on, there's another point I want to talk about. Because I hear from pastors some in our community, some out of state, some overseas who know my story and will ask me questions sometimes. Is there something special I need to do? Is there some special preparation I need to do? Is there uh, all these questions about how do I pray? How do we see miracles happen? Friends, I think I can answer that question. First of all, you don't have to get worked up. You don't have to get pumped up. You don't have to get psyched up. It helps to stay prayed up. Let me say that again. Two of you got that. It helps to stay prayed up. Let me say that again. It helps to stay prayed up. Do you want me to move on? It helps to stay prayed up. There we go. You see, it helps to stay prayed up because when you're prayed up, your faith is stronger. When you're prayed up, you're you're in touch with God and you know that God's going to, to work. But here's the key. The Apostle Paul, who was called up into the third heavens, the Apostle Paul who prayed in the Spirit and said, I would that you all prayed in the Spirit, the Apostle Paul who saw marvelous miracles, the Apostle Paul who had been stoned and raised up again by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul says, I want to show you the most excellent way. And the most excellent way was the way of love. He said, if you really want to know how to tap into spiritual gifts, and he sandwiches that chapter right in between the miraculous working of spiritual gifts, he sandwiches that chapter, chapter 13 on love. He said, this is the most excellent way. There is no technique. There is no method. There is no special man or special woman, but there is a more special way, and the most excellent way is the way of love. And if you don't understand that, go home and read 1 Corinthians 13 today, and every time you get to to the word love. Love is patient. Put your name in there. Love is kind. Put your name in there. And then you will get a personal understanding of what love is. I believe that miracles happen to people who love God and love other people as well. That's the reason we don't sell miracles, sell blessing cloths, or sell holy water that come from the Jordan River that really came from the Detroit River. You say, Pastor, have you seen it? Oh, you would be surprised. You see, miracles happen to people who love God and love one another. So let's look at it. Who do miracles happen to? First of all, people who are in touch with God. The Bible says that people who are in touch with God will listen to my voice. That's why it helps to stay prayed up, because when you're reading your Bible and you're praying over the Scripture, then you know what God has said. Then you know what God's will is. So many times people ask me, what's the will of God for this or that? And I'll say, what does the Bible say? And we'll sit down and we'll read the Bible together. And they go, I never knew it was that easy. Honey, if God will, I can't even believe I just said that. That was my father-in-law speaking through me. (laughs) Sir, if God God wanted to hide something from you, you're not going to find it. If God wants to hide something from you, you're never going to find it. He's good. Okay? He's good. 
But he wants you to know his will, so he gives you his word, and as you read the word and apply it to yourself daily, and as you do that over the years, you begin to build up this reservoir of the knowledge of the will of God, and when you pray, suddenly you'll find yourself praying sometimes prophetically. You're speaking the word of God. You begin to pray what the word of God says, and your faith grows, and you know that with God all things are possible, and though this seems impossible, you have come before the one with whom all things are possible, and suddenly you're praying for healing, and all of a sudden it just begins to pulsate inside of you and those words that he was wounded for our transgressions and by his stripes we are healed and your faith begins to rise and you know that God is a healing God and there's a peace that comes with that and you can rest that you know that God is going to heal or maybe sometimes you, you're praying about a financial need and suddenly the scripture comes to your mind and he will open up the windows of heaven and I find myself wondering sometimes how big are the windows of heaven? How much can fall forth from the people of God who put their faith and their trust in God. That's what happens when people listen to God. They begin to pray the Bible. They begin to pray the Word of God. They begin to sing the Bible. And though their body may be racked with pain, they begin to sing, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And soon that song gets in their spirit, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. And the more you sing that song, your pain goes away. Maybe nothing's changed, but your pain goes away and the Spirit of the Lord floods your heart because suddenly you are praying in song. You are singing in song. You are singing the Word of God and a miracle happens in your life and you're able to focus and you're able to be productive and you're able to love and to care for others because this day isn't dependent upon your pain-wracked body. It depends upon the strength of Almighty God that's at work in your life. Jesus understands our pain. Too often we forget that God became man. That's what Emmanuel means. Too often we forget that God came and dwelt among us. We forget that God was a carpenter. Jesus, for 30 years of his life, he was a carpenter. And I'm sure there are times he missed the nail and hit his thumb with the hammer. I'm sure there are times when that thumb went under the armpit, when that thumb maybe went into the mouth, when he stomped his foot and it hurt. I'm sure he never swore or never cussed because the Bible says gold cannot tarnish. But I will tell you this, he knows what it means to suffer. When you look upon the scars upon Jesus' hand and in his side, upon his brow where the, crown of the, corn of, the thorn of crowns was, when you see the stripes upon his back, Jesus knows what it means to suffer. But the same power of God that raised Jesus after that emaciated, broken body was put into the tomb, the same Spirit of God that raised him from the dead is the same Spirit that dwells in you and I today. This is the day the Lord has made. Can Cancer, heart disease, pain, brokenness. I will rejoice because the Lord has made this day for me. Hallelujah. He suffered like we do. Hebrews 4 and 15 says he was tempted just like we are, but he never gave in to temptation. William Shakespeare said, he who just as scars never felt a wound. When I see people with scars from war, when I see people with psychological and emotional scars, when I see people with scars from surgeries, I love to remind them, you and I don't serve a scarless God. We serve a God that for some reason that when he rose again on the third day, he said to Thomas, put your fingers in the holes in my hand. Thrust your hands in the wound in my side. And Thomas, don't doubt any longer but believe. You don't serve a scarless God. You serve a God who knows what you're suffering, who feels what you feel, and the God who puts his Holy Spirit in you to make all things new. Glory to God. Hallelujah. A.W. Tozer said that most Christians are theological Christians only. They're trying to be happy without a sense of his presence. And when I read that statement, I think to myself, how sad. How sad just to be doctrinally correct. How sad just to have a form that is correct. 
when you can have the living manifested presence of the Holy Spirit if you know God and if you're in touch with God and if you're praying His Word and you're seeing His Word. The Holy Spirit is a 24-7 counselor that dwells with us every single day of our lives. God is with us. Let's say it again. This I know God is for me. One more time. This I know God is for me. One more time. This I know God is for me. And when you believe that, everything is different. But then there's another group of people that miracles happen to, and that's people who turn to God. That's lost people. That's people who turn to the Lord, and suddenly miracles happen in their life. You see, the word lost, I was sharing this with our board yesterday, the word lost means to be damaged beyond repair. The word loss means to be decaying. The word, the Greek word that we use, there's two words for loss, but here it means death, decay, destruction. You see, without Christ, you are dying. Without Christ, your life is perishing. Without Christ, there is no hope. And I don't say that with any disrespect towards people who disagree with me. I have lots of people that I know who disagree with me, who don't believe that Jesus is their Lord. So it's not intended with disrespect, but this is what the Bible says, and this is what we believe, that God reaches down to save the lost. And here's a wonderful example. You know the story in Acts chapter 3 of how Peter and John came to a man to pray for him. They weren't intending to pray for him. Matter of fact, Jesus had passed this man many times, but had never taken the time to heal him. We don't know why. Perhaps it was waiting so that Peter and John would see God at work. But this man who was laid daily at the temple, this man who was daily laid there at the temple gate, one day Peter and John were going to pray, and the man called out to him, and they prayed for him, and God healed him. This man who had never walked instantly, his bones and his ankles were healed. He said, Pastor, have you seen things like that happen? Yes, I've seen things like that happen. I've not seen them happen in America, but I've seen them happen overseas because there's something about people in third world countries who don't have insurance like we have, who don't have the benefits that we have, who don't have the medical care we have. All they have is Jesus, and their faith is so great and so intense. It doesn't matter whether you believe or not. They come to God trusting and believing, and I've seen what has happened. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, there is more to this life than comfortable Western Christians have known there is more to serving Jesus. Let's don't settle for anything less than the best. Can you say amen? And so this man who had, Jesus had passed by many times, he calls out to these two. They pray for him. He's healed. And Peter, never one to miss an opportunity, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? Now, isn't that wonderful? Here's where you can trust somebody. You don't touch the glory. The glory belongs to God. If God can trust you, if God can trust you with the glory, anything can happen. If God can trust the church with the glory, anything can happen. If God can trust a man or a woman or a teenager, Anything can happen. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You see, there's the danger of sin. There's the danger of unrepented sin in an unbeliever's life or in a believer's life. Because unrepented sin will cause you to choose a murderer over a life giver. Unrepented sin will cause you to choose a man of violence over the prince of peace. Unrepented sin will cause you to choose a thief over the one who wants to bless and to give. Never underestimate the power of sin. And that's what Paul, Peter was preaching, pointing out to them, is that sin has caused you to do this. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. Through him, faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Faith in Jesus' name gave him a new power, gave him a new purpose, gave him a new family of Christ to live with. Faith in Jesus' name gave this man a fresh start in life. I'm telling you, nothing is impossible when you come to God. Can you say amen to that? 
And then he says, he follows this up, and I love this. I just, this just kind of really stood out to me in such huge letters this week. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. What compassion and what love. He looks at them, he says, I know you didn't know what you were doing. I know that you did this in ignorance. And friends, that's what good preaching and good teaching does. Good preaching and teaching doesn't slap you around. Good preaching and teaching doesn't stomp on your feet. Good preaching and teaching convicts and convinces and persuades you that God loves you and he has a plan for your life in Christ Jesus. And that very day, the Bible tells us there were thousands that gave their hearts to Christ. Look at Acts 3.19. Now repent of your sins and turn to God for a time so that your sins may be wiped away. And then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. I want you to look at that phrase. Put it back up there if you would, please. Then times of refreshment. Say that with me. Times of refreshment. A time of renewal, a time of reconstruction, a time of revival, a time for a fresh start. I don't know if you've ever worked in a hot field on a hot, hot summer day. I can tell you of times being in the fields when suddenly a cloud would come over the sun and you'd feel a cool breeze blow. And those of us that were working on rows that were a mile long of tobacco or cotton, suddenly we'd stand up and we'd all close our eyes and just feel that breeze. And there was something about that breeze blowing across that field until that cloud moved. It refreshed you. You could go right, you could put that whole handle to work and you could go right back to work because it refreshed you, it energized you, it did something for you. And God is saying there are times of refreshment that will come from heaven and if you're weary and if you've dry this morning, if, if life has just kind of sucked all the moisture out of you, I am here to tell you that there is a time of refreshment that comes for you. The Bible says, first of all, be trusting. Be trusting. Matthew 26 and verse 42 says, your will be done. One of our students was home a couple of years ago and I preached a message on this, never be afraid to pray thy will be done. If Jesus could pray that, we could pray that. And I talked about how some people say that's a lack of faith to pray thy will be done and after the service that student came to me with tears in her eyes and says thank you thank you for sharing that thank you for preaching that I've been taught that same thing that we shouldn't pray that way because it destroys our faith friends when you pray like Jesus your faith is going to grow when you pray like people who teach you to pray contrary to the scriptures your faith is going to die you see I trust the Lord this week I had another young man come and visit with me and he just was talking to me about prayer and as we were talking, he said to me, he says, why doesn't God answer my prayer? And I asked him, I said, has God, has God not answered your prayer the way you want him to? And he says, yes. And I said, can I ask you another question? Has your mom and daddy not ever answered your request the way you want them to? And he goes, oh yeah. I said, has your mom and dad ever said no when you've asked for something? Yeah. I says, how did it make you feel? He grinned and said, bad. I said, do you love your mom and dad? He goes, oh yeah. I says, do you trust your mom and dad? And this bright kid got immediately where I was going. He goes, yes. I said, why do you trust your mom and dad? Because my mom and dad wants what's best for me. My mom and dad want to do good for me. And friends, if God doesn't answer my prayer the way I would like him to answer my prayer, God who knows the past, God who knows the present, God who knows the future, he loves me, he trusts me, and if he doesn't, heal me this side of heaven. He will heal me fully in his presence. The prayer of faith shall raise him up. Be trusting of your heavenly father. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? John Aiken, the Assemblies of God pastor, tells a story of how when he was seven years old, he was playing with a makeshift spear that he had and he jammed the spear down through his foot 
And he started jumping up and down saying, Jesus, heal me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, heal me. He said, one day I was reflecting over how did I know at seven years old to pray that Jesus would heal me. He says, because my mom and dad had taught me always to pray in faith and to pray that Jesus would heal me. He said, sadly, Jesus didn't heal my foot. I had to heal like everybody else. But I am so thankful that my mom and dad taught me as a child to cry out to the Lord. Mamas and daddies, are you having devotion? with your children? Are you teaching your children how to pray? Are you praying over your bills? Are you praying over your problems? Are you teaching them that there is a God who heals in answer to prayer? The second thing I'd say to you is be persistent. Be persistent. There are some needs on our prayer list that gets longer and longer. They've been there for quite a while, but we're never going to stop praying. We're going to keep coming and asking over and over again. For 40 years, the Bible says for 40 years, this man had been laid at the gate beautiful. And the Bible says every day he was carried to the gate. Why did that man, listen to me, don't miss this. Why did he go to the gate? He went to the gate of the temple because the temple was the place that Jesus Jewish people believed the presence of God dwelled. And so he went to where the power of God was every single day. You stay persistent in prayer. You keep praying because I want you to know the power of God is present in your home. The power of God is present on the line at work. The power of God is present in the classroom, is present where your office is. And the power of God is present here this morning. We anoint you with oil because we believe that the manifested power of God is here to heal. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? And then thirdly, I'd say be bold. Be bold. Mark 10, verse 48, there was a man that needed a miracle. He was blind. He began to cry out, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. And the people began to holler at him and says, oh, that's rude. You don't shout at Jesus like that. And the Bible says he shouted all the louder. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and says, tell him to come here. I want you to know two things. God is not nervous. So you can call out loud if you need to. But he's not deaf either, so you don't have to call out loud. So whatever your emotional makeup is, that's how you pray. But you be bold. You be persistent. You hang on to God. Yesterday, Pastor Rick told me, or asked me when I came into the office, he says, did you hear? Did you hear that sermon at the, at the Prince and Meghan Merkel's wedding? I says, no, I, I didn't hear that, Pastor Rick. And then I teased him a little bit about watching the wedding. He says, well, Norma had it on. That's the reason I was watching it. <laughs> well, when I finished up my day here, I went home, and it's not usual that I walk in because they hear enough preaching from yours truly that I hear preaching on the television. And so there was somebody preaching. I mean, he was shucking corn. And I walked in the house. I said, who is Becky listening to? So I walked in, and it was the wedding. And I sat down and I listened, and I want you to know the queen and the king of England, they didn't know what had hit them yesterday. <laughs> there was a man from America that came over and preached the gospel. He preached about love when two young people met and fell in love, and we all showed up. And he talked about the power of love being as strong as death. He talked about what the power of love could do. And then he talked about the fire of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And I laughed as they would show the picture because those promises and pripper, prim and proper, whatever you say, people, they were sitting there. They didn't know what had hit them, but they heard the word of God. But I watched young Prince Harry and young Meghan Merkel. They were smiling. They heard the word of the Lord. And Becky made these precious words. She says, if they will listen to this, it will change their lives. It will change their friends. It will change their nation because the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to save. Thank God he didn't go over there mealy mouth and milk toast. He was bold and preached the word of God. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> One of the commentators said to the other commentator on the TV, I wrote it down. He said, they had to be wondering in there looking at each other, what the blank just happened in here? <laughs> and the other one says, well, if they've ever been to church in America, they know what was happening. Friends, be bold. Be strong, for the Lord thy God is with you. This I know, God is for me. And then be expected. Be expected. Acts 3, 5. 
He looked at them and he expected to get something from them. I hope when you come to church, you come expecting. I hope that when you gather your family together for prayer, that you're expecting. When I go to the hospital or I go to somebody's home, I never just pray a prayer. I go expecting. I will never forget a few years ago when Mr. Dennis passed away. I love that old man. One day he called me. He says, can you come pray for me? So I drove down to the hospital in Wyandotte. His family was standing around the bed and he looked up at me and he says, Pastor, I'm going home tonight. I said, you are? You're getting dismissed? He goes, oh no, I'm going home tonight. And so I took his hands and we prayed. And I sang and I said, Mr. Dennis, help me. Jesus loves me, this I know. I said, Mr. Dennis, that's the greatest theology you'll ever hear. Jesus loves me. In that weak voice, we sang together, Jesus loves me. And I hadn't got home before his family said he just closed his eyes with a smile on his face, still singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And the prayer of faith shall raise them up. It's one of the most powerful funerals I've ever preached. C.S. Lewis writing about going back to the very beginning of the message, scientist. He said, men became scientific because they expected law in nature. They expected law in nature because they believed in a lawgiver. The great pioneers of science, Galileo, Kepler, Newton, Clerk, Maxwell, Babbage, and so on were all believers in God. I'm not too educated to believe in miracles. But I'm not so naive as to believe that miracles happen a mile a minute. I understand that God uses miracles to open people's eyes to Jesus. And sometimes God does a miracle in a different way. Tony Campolo wrote in one of his books, there's a Pentecostal college, near Eastern College, where I teach. I'm not a Pentecostal, but I talk so fast, they think I'm speaking in tongues, so it works out okay. <laughs> You've ever heard Tony, he does. One day they invited me to speak at a chapel service. I like speaking there because they're dynamic, happy people, and I enjoy being with them. Just before I spoke, eight guys took me into a back room of the chapel and got me down on my knees. They laid their hands on me and prayed for me. That's good. I need all the prayer I can get. There's only one problem. Those guys pray a long time. And that's usually okay too, but the longer they prayed, the more tired I got. And the more tired they got, and the more they leaned on my head. And I want to tell you, when eight guys are leaning on your head, it don't feel so good. One guy was even praying for me. Instead, he went on praying for Charlie Stoltzfus. Dear Lord, he shouted, you know Charlie Stoltzfus? He lives in that silver trailer down the road about a mile. You know the trailer, Lord. Just down the road on the right-hand side. I felt like saying, knock it off, fella. What do you think God is doing saying, what's that address again? Anyway, he went on and on. Lord Charlie told me this morning he's decided to leave his wife and his three kids. He told me he's walking out on his family. Lord, step in. Do something. Bring that family back together again. All this time I'm kneeling there with eight guys leaning on my head asking myself, when is this guy going to knock it off so I can get these Pentecostal preachers off my head? But he went on and on about Charlie Stolfus leaving his wife and kids, giving God constant reminders they live in a silver trailer about a mile down the road on the right-hand side. Finally, the prayers was over. I went to the pulpit and preached. As I finished, I got in my car and drove down the Pennsylvania Turnpike headed for home. Now, as I drove onto the Turnpike, I noticed a hitchhiker. I know you're not supposed to pick him up, but I'm a preacher. Whenever I can get anybody locked up in a captive audience, I do it. So I stopped and picked him up, and we drove a few minutes, and I said, Hi, my name is Tony Campolo. What's yours? Charlie Stolfus. 
got off of the turnpike at the next exit and headed back. He got a bit uneasy after that, and after a few minutes, he says, hey, mister, where are you taking me? I'm taking you home. His eyes narrowed, and he says, why? Because you just left your wife and three kids, right? Well, that blew him away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. With shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against my car door, I guess so, and never took his eyes off of me. I drove off the turnpike at the next exit. Then I really did him in. I drove right to his silver trailer. When I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge, and he says, how did you know I lived here? God told me. I believe God did tell me. When God got it, he got out of the car, I ordered him, get in that trailer. Half shaken, he answered, right, mister, sure, sure, I'm going. He opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. He whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. And then I said, with real authority, the two of you sit down, because I'm going to talk, and the two of you are going to listen. And man, did they listen. I mean, I was like E.F. Hutton. And that afternoon, I led those two young people to Jesus Christ. And today, that guy is a pastor of a church in California. You see, sometimes we look for the miraculous in the spectacular. Sometimes it just happens that God puts you in the right place with eight Pentecostal preachers at the right time. (laughs) Bow your heads with me. You are the God of miracles. And I want us to be the people that miracles happen to. I want us to be the church that miracles happen to. Lord, deliver us from a Jeffersonian attitude that they don't exist. But deliver us, O Lord, from the naivete that gets sucked in to other people's grandiosity. But help us to walk with you daily and to know you. If you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus, I'm telling you the day will come when the greatest miracle of all is whether or not you've been given a new heart and your sins have been forgiven. And so I just invite you right now to pray this prayer with me. You just pray it quietly to the Lord. Put your faith in Him. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Now before I go on, I want you to know that He loves you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for bearing the cross for me. And I don't understand it all, but I want the miracle of a new life, and I commit to following after you with everything I've got. In Jesus' name. Just feel free to go ahead and leave, but be sure you come by and greet me on the way out.